1: Welcome in to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Excited to have you all with me today. Have an awesome interview lined up. A very unique topic. So unique. Honestly, I don't think I've ever really heard it talked about in this specificity um, anywhere else. And on top of that, it is something that is actually happening right now. Um putting libertarian philosophy and uh, logic into action. So excited to interview my guest today, excited for you all to hear um, what he has to say. So we'll introduce him in just a moment. Before I get to that, I do want to remind everyone that Lions of Liberty is sponsored by Masa Chips. Masa Chips are tortilla chips that are fried in grass-fed beef tallow. They are not fried in seed oils. Don't have any of that garbage in there. Um, It is a a startup. It is a small company at this point. Every single order of masa Chips is handmade um, as they scale up their business. Obviously, things will expand and they won't be handmade forever, but you can play a, a vital role, a crucial role in helping this small startup disrupt the uh, really corrupt mega food corporations that uh, feed us all of the garbage and seed oils and artificial junk uh, that they can shove in our f- in our food to uh, to cheapen it out and to make everybody fat and unhealthy so fight back against that go to masa massa com and put in promo code lions for 10% off your order okay um, the other thing I want to talk about if you've been a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, you will notice that recently every interview that I do, you get a bonus segment. And today's episode is no different. So if you want to hear today's bonus segment with my guest, you do. Um, what you want to do is make sure to join the Lions of Liberty Pride at patreon.com slash lions of liberty or at lions of liberty.locals.com. And what you can do is you can put the RSS feed into your podcatcher. So you listen to this episode right afterwards in your podcatcher. You'll see the bonus episode. You listen to that and you get everything. It's uh, You really can't beat it. You can't. So do it. <laughs> but that's really all I have, I think, for today. So let's just let's get to the show. Let's do it. We are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I'm joined here today by Alex Voss. Alex is a senior advisor of the Free Cities Foundation. He has a background in investment banking, and he joined Titus Gebel as the CFO of Typolis Corporation from its beginning. Alex Kermit currently lives in Chicago and is working to expand the ideas of the Free Cities Foundation to the Americas. He studied economics and finance at the University of Chicago and Notre Dame and holds the CFA Charter, I believe that stands for Chartered Financial Analyst, um, and more recently, Alex has formalized his study of Austrian economics under the tutel- tutelage of the Mises Institute. I'm sure this audience is very familiar with that. So Alex,
0: welcome to
1: Finding Freedom.
0: Thanks, John. Great to be here. I've been, uh, I think, as I mentioned, a long time listener. So nice to actually meet you and speak with you.
1: Yeah, great to have you on the show. And a bit of a theme the past couple episodes um, of long time listeners coming on the show as uh, as guests. So we 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 love to do that here at Lions of Liberty. Um, But before we get started talking about um, a little bit about Tipples and um, probably more so about the Free Cities Foundation and how you know we can build a free city from scratch, which is a pretty Revolutionary idea. Uh, if you give my audience a better idea about yourself, about you know how you became you know passionate about these ideas, so passionate about these ideas to really you know make it your living.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, my background is really um, I, I grew up uh, knowing two things: one, I was going to play basketball, and two, that I was going into go I was going to go into finance and accounting of some sort uh that was sort of the history of my family and, and I certainly followed in that path. Um was born and raised in Cincinnati, uh had the opportunity to go to University of Chicago which uh while I have quibbles with their uh, method of economics, it is nonetheless a very prestigious university um and and a great place to go and and frankly learn a fair amount. So um I was fortunate to do that and play a little basketball there. Um And that led me uh, to studying economics and uh, ultimately going into investment, where I spent the first uh, seven years of my career in Chicago doing um, hospital mergers and acquisitions for the most part. I mean, a few other things, but that was really the bulk of it. I I certainly like that. Um, I, I don't have any issues with doing it necessarily, um, it can always be something to do in the future as well. Uh, but I felt like I was not making uh, quite the difference in the world that I really wanted to, uh, you know, selling hospitals is, is one thing. Um, but I wanted to actually make a difference in individuals' lives. I wanted to empower people to do more things. I wanted to be entrepreneurial. Uh, I'd read a fair amount of, uh, Austrian economics at that point and really found that the entrepreneur is. Of course, the driving force of the economy—it's the people that are taking risks and trying to do things. And um, I felt like in my current role, uh, I was—it was a little bit too um, just taking things easy and going, you know, going with the flow versus really uh, taking control and ownership of my life and, and making it what I want it to be. Um, that said, I read a book um, early on in my investment banking career—a book called "Free Private Cities: Making Governments Compete for You." Written by a gentleman named uh, Titus Gebel. Uh, Titus uh, is a German uh, by heritage, um, and he—he's really—he was a lawyer, is—is—is is, is his background. Um, and he decided, similar to me, that while law is quite interesting and necessary, he wanted to be a creator. He wanted to to build something for his own, and so he did that. He built a, a resources and mining company uh, in Germany. And uh, made a fair amount of money off of that and ultimately was able to retire uh, to Monaco with his family. But that's uh, not the type of person Titus is, is to, to sort of, uh, you know, rest on his laurels and, 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 and uh, enjoy his, his time in Monaco. He wanted to have a greater impact on, on, on Earth. Uh, and so uh, he decided to use his legal analysis uh, along with his what he learned from being an entrepreneur and the hassles and the issues and the troubles that that they go through uh, to uh, start a, uh, to write a book called Free Private Cities and then to actually start a company uh, trying to do effectively that build as free as private of cities as possible. Now, we typically don't market them so much as free private cities. Those can be difficult words uh, in our business, but um, nonetheless, that is that is the model is to sort of have a private law, a privately organized um, city within a host nation. And so this has devoted the rest of his life to that. And I uh, was fortunate to be in communication with him through reading this book uh, and given an opportunity to join him. Uh, and since that time, we've certainly grown closer and seem to work quite well together. So uh, we've taken on uh, this joint endeavor together.
1: How, how incredible is that? That um, in this day and age, you can you can read a book and then um, reach out and build a relationship with someone and then start working with them. Very cool, uh, very cool story there. So can, you talked a little bit about how I, mean, I don't know how, how much you can get into this because we talked pre-show, you know, so, so some confidentiality. But you don't you can't market them as as free private cities. Can you talk at all about how they are? Or how you do market them?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, There's plenty that we can say sort of in generalities. Of course, each one is going to be very specific. Um, The idea is that we're taking essentially a virgin piece of land, and it's very important that it starts out as a greenfield site, because we don't ever want to be accused of people living in our city that don't actively go out of their way to volunteer to live in the city under our jurisdiction. We want people to to opt in, uh, and so of course, starting from a greenfield site uh, makes that easier, but it makes just about everything else uh, more difficult. We have to, you know, put in all of the infrastructure, you know, you name it, any any first world uh, mm-hmm. infrastructure you think of, we have to put in. Uh, so, I guess the the answer to who builds the roads is is us. Um, <laughs> So that's, I mean, that's that's the major um, idea of why we're, what we're doing uh, from a greenfield site. Now, the idea of this is that we want to go to a host nation in the first part of this process. We are um, trying to essentially follow the path of special economic zones and their proliferation over time. So special economic zones really started... Uh, in the 1970s, in China, when China decided to turn uh, the city of Shenzhen, along with a couple of others, but that that's sort of the success story is Shenzhen, um, which was at the time really kind of a sleepy fishing village, uh, and now it's a city of 15 plus million people. With you know, it's one of the largest 20 cities on the globe. Uh, it's a major success story of what happens because China realized, hey, people aren't investing in our country. Um, Entrepreneurs aren't starting businesses. Nothing really seems to happen. You know, the the same old fishers uh, teach their children to be fishers, and then they go and and it's just the same thing repeats. And no one ever takes big, bold, ambitious uh, plans. And why is that? And they realized, well, at least part of it is the communist China regime is not so friendly to investments. And while many of the nations that we're working with are not necessarily uh, as extreme uh, at least in terms of communism but nonetheless sometimes are that extreme in terms of poverty um, we're trying to convince them that at least a part of the problem is that the institutions are lacking there's no rule of law there's no protection for investment there's no, uh, if you want to start a business you have to you have to go to the minister of you know economics to get this and that permit then you have to go to the um, uh, to the registrar to start up a company and pay, you know, this and that other person. There's so many steps to jump through in order to do things. So it's much easier to just sort of go on about your business as you otherwise would. And so special economic zones really took off from that those days with China uh, to now there are approximately 5,000 special economic zones in about 150 uh, countries across across the globe. Um, so, obviously, it went from a small thing to a big thing. Now, our view is that that was wonderful and liberating for many of those countries, but the benefit of creating the 5,001st Special Economic Zone is quite minimal. You can already, from a multinational perspective, if you're a multinational company, you can pick your jurisdiction that you want to manufacture, you can pick the markets that you want to sell to. You can pick the headquarter country uh, for your company, and using these three and, and certainly other levers um, and some some interesting accounting and, and tax uh, uh, questions, you you can really minimize your global tax rate that you're effectively paying. So at this point, special economic zones are not so much uh, it's not so much an, of an advantage to just lower the taxes uh, or to to help uh, you know import export. Those things are pretty standard. Most multinationals can get those things. What's not so standard is allowing those benefits for the mom and pop store, uh, the little restaurant mm-hmm. down the street, the little grocery store, the individual uh, internet entrepreneur, uh, the person who has a, a new, um, you know, has, has the idea to build a new Amazon or something like that. Um, those people don't uh, quite have uh, the same ability. They're really starting from whatever jurisdiction they happen to be born in for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is um, really expand those benefits. Anyone who chooses to opt into our jurisdiction, uh, we want to provide um, as business friendly of an environment as possible. And we, we really think that um, because we're a for-profit company trying to provide those governance services, we're going to be incented very strongly uh, to make it as easy. At the same time, we don't want any um, uh, criminal activity, those types of things. We're very, very strongly incented to make sure that it's easy to do business, but that criminals aren't finding it to be a safe haven. So that's more or less the sort of uh, business idea of what we're trying to build.
1: That's extremely fascinating. Um, and you said there's there's one active um, project going on right now? When, where is that?
0: Yeah, so there, there is uh, there is one active project there. It's in Honduras. Um, the Hondurans passed a law uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I, think it, I think it was 2017 um, called the ZA law. It's called the, the Zones for Economic Development and Employment. And it's not exactly our model, but nonetheless it is probably the most advanced jurisdictional change uh, mm-hmm. in the globe right now. It's It would be more adequately described as a sort of public-private partnership uh, where each ZA, and there are three of them currently, uh, each ZA is sort of a um, a local municipality, but it's uh, really driven for and promoted by a for-profit company uh, who can make money off of you know, basically administering this um, these local service local governance services uh, quite well so these zedes, uh, they certainly fall underneath the sovereignty of Honduras um, as I said there are three of them one um, on the island of Rotan which is called Prospera uh, one in a town in the industrial heart of Honduras a town called Chaloma and that city is called Ciudad Morazan Uh, And then another one in the south of Honduras uh, that we're somewhat less familiar with, they're very, they're much, they're, they're less interested um, in really pushing the boundaries of governance and more interested in sort of using their zone as a special economic zone. So we haven't focused there as much. Mm. The two, uh, the two other ones are really quite fascinating. And it shows you already just between the two of them, how different, uh, for-profit companies can compete to provide governance services and how that results in a better uh, opportunity to live together with people um, just between the two of them. And we expect that to proliferate in the case of Prospera. It's certainly marketed as a sort of libertarian Mecca. I would say Um, Mm -hmm. it's very expat friendly. It's on the Island of Roatan, which is to the North of the country. The island, I think, if you're trying to set your mind as to what it's like there is much, you, you could probably start with a base case of saying it's a Caribbean island. And that's that's a pretty good description um, versus Morazan is is really in the industrial heart of, of uh, Honduras. And there's a fair amount of crime nearby. Uh, it's hardworking uh, area. There's there's a fair amount of poverty, that type of thing. In Prospera, they've been very bold about um, implementing their own uh, common law code uh, and and mm-hmm. uh, um, regulatory codes as well. They set up their own financial authority to regulate, uh, you know, financial services companies within the zone. So they've really gone the distance in terms of trying to innovate in governance. Whereas Morizon has a bit. Um, an equally admirable, but somewhat less um, ambitious goal. And what they're trying to do is really provide a safe and secure environment for manufacturing uh, to work within uh, Ciudad Morazon, give a place uh, for locals to live where they don't have to fear uh, gangs and cartels. It's easy to pay their taxes. They can rent apartments there. I think the going rate is something like $120 per month. Uh, I know I pay more than that in Chicago, so it sounds like a decent deal. Um, it's, uh, you know, so that you can just see and they, they've they really taken a more or less um, Honduran, uh, the, the Honduran legisl- uh, uh, laws and then just tweaked it where necessary. And so you can see right there, I mean, the idea is for, for them, you know, Prospero wants to basically remake the entire uh, law that we live under, whereas Morazan is... Uh, Just trying to tweak it here and there where they can make life easier for their particular clientele that they're marketing to. And we expect that to to sort of continue to proliferate. People might think in the future Mm -hmm. it's the best idea to just take Delaware law or it's best to take Singapore law for this and Australian law for that. You can pick and choose, um, you know, whatever you think is best or you can create it on your own.
1: Yeah, it's truly... uh decentralization. I mean, it's similar in a way to what we have in the United States with the, you know, 50 states and um, you know, able to dis- decentralize in, in that fashion, well, to, to some degree at least. Yeah. But so c- can we talk about let's talk about the uh, the Free Cities Foundation and and how that fits in and what the mission is with the Free Cities Foundation. Then we can get into, you know, really digging deeper into this idea.
0: Sure. Yeah. So the Free Cities Foundation is a is a is a very distinct organization uh, from Tiplis. So Tiplis is um, trying to do and build uh, and operate these new uh, free cities, or, or we'll, we'll have some new terms probably to describe them in the near future. What the Free Cities Foundation is is um, it. While it is distinct, it's really trying to promote this idea of. We can have private governance solutions. We can have you know, new territories, new jurisdictions within jurisdictions, and we can find new um, new ways of living together that are really privately organized and privately administered. Uh, and so, the Free Cities Foundation is really just uh, trying to promote uh, the idea of free private cities. It was uh, it's a Liechtenstein foundation. Uh, the ideas have Uh, I would say while there's still more proliferation to come uh, in Europe, they have proliferated a bit, uh, a bit more than here in the States. Um, Probably that's partly because Titus himself is German and has spent most of his time speaking over there. I would say another part of that is that um, in Europe, you didn't have as many options. You know, I guess the COVID is a very good example. If the German government said you're locked in your house and you can't go out, you were locked in your house and you just couldn't go out versus in the U S if you didn't like that, well then go to Florida or go to Mm -hmm. wherever Arizona, there's a bit more of an option. Um, And so for amongst, I'm sure there are other reasons as well, but um, those being two of them uh, these ideas have certainly spread in Europe more than they have uh, in the U S and I'm uh, as, as the uh, I think sole American uh, with the uh, U.S. American, with the foundation, trying to really bring those ideas to America and help people see that, look, uh, you know, America's great in many, many ways. Um, it's phenomenal. But it also could stand to to benefit from some of these ideas. And it's sort of, um, you know, we we certainly admire Michael Bolden and the 10th Amendment Center and what they're doing. Ours is, mm-hmm. is um, you know, obviously less um, constitutionally driven, but nonetheless, the same sort of Promoting new jurisdictions that uh, you know people do things that opt in and do things as they wish, uh, and we don't have to have one sort of uh, top-down rule that everyone has to always live by.
1: So on on the website, you talk about different uh, different terms like intentional communities, prosperity zones, and free private cities. Can you talk about what those terms mean?
0: Sure. Yeah, so um, the idea from the foundation is really uh, initially this foundation in its first uh, I think about five years of existence, it was called the Free Private Cities Foundation, and the idea was to really promote just free private cities, this model mm-hmm. where um, it's not sovereign but effectively 100% autonomous territory within a host nation. <clears throat> we realized that we're not there yet in terms of the political realities on the ground. Uh, we're, we're not really that close to getting to a point where you can just take a little piece of land and make the next Singapore of it. You just can't do that right now. What you can do is point to these special economic zones uh, and see the success of sort of uh, jurisdictional arbitrage and 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 some you know new systems within systems. And so the, the Free Cities Foundation, when they changed their name, um, really um, started started to focus on broadening the scope of what we're advocating for. It's not just that we have to have our model and we want it this way and only this way. The idea is to promote movement towards people living, uh, deciding to live in communities uh, that they value, that they um You know, appreciate that they opt into, and so in that regard, we we've opened it up to you know, as you said, prosperity zones, um, special administrative regions, intentional communities, so on and so forth. And I guess the while each of them has somewhat unique definitional aspects to them, in broad terms, what we can say really is that intentional communities are probably the least innovative. Uh, on this sort of, if you think of it as a spectrum, free private cities are as autonomous Mm -hmm. and intentional communities are the least autonomous. Intentional communities don't really have any, uh, uh, any de jure autonomy. Uh, they're simply groups that want to live together because they enjoy whatever it is that they're intentionally focused around living. Maybe it's, you know, they like gardening or, or working out or whatever, you know, there's any number of things. There's tons of these sorts of communities and our, our role at the foundation is is to promote this sort of idea in the sense that while they don't have uh, de jure liver freedom or autonomy what they do have is they allow people to live together in a trusted community and therefore find more freedom for themselves uh, because they're living amongst people who they trust who they value who they that time W- that would said, uh, we are w- actively
1: w- would New Hampshire and the free State project be a, a version of an intentional community
0: yeah I would say that I would say that's true and they're they're even bordering on something more considering they have had such success uh, mm-hmm. in getting people elective and then change elect- in the government so while they are not autonomous from the united States government some sense that you you absolutely could make that argument but it doesn't have to be that big of a scale it could just be you know 15 people that um, you know you and some of your uh, close friends move out to whatever a suburb because you you like the bike trail there and you want to go on weekly bike ride thing it can be as simple mm-hmm. as that um the idea is to get people actively thinking about moving to jurisdictions that treat them right whether that is uh, legally, um, or or whether that's just uh, treating them right through connecting them with the people that they'd like to be connected with, so that's that's sort of the least autonomous and free private cities is the most autonomous end, and then most of the other uh, the other categories really fall somewhere in between. Prosperity zones is a pretty um, uh, common one that we refer to. And that's essentially this idea of, well, a host nation will allow a special economic zone, they'll probably even allow a special economic zone plus, but they won't allow a full free private city. So in this sense, they might grant, okay, you can create your own you know, civil law, you can have a company registry in your own land registry. Uh, but you need to stay you need to keep uh criminal law from the host nation we don 't want drug dealers, so keep keep the criminal law of x y z country and so it's just sort of a a give and take on uh and it's admittedly a gray area as to uh where where you categorize each of these um, another you know sort of added benefit of prosperity zone is it's it 's not a very contentious term. most people do prefer prosperity even if we have different ideas about how to get there
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very uh, very marketable term, prosperity. Um, yeah. So now is within the United States. You talked a little, bit, a little bit, about politically, you know, how that we're we're not necessarily very close to being able to build up, you know, a a greenfield, uh, free private city um, in the U.S. Or probably, you know, a lot of places where we're not we're not cl- most places we're not close to it. So, what types of restrictions or constraints are currently preventing that, that do you think could be changed to be able to, to make this more of a reality in the, uh, in the future?
0: Um, do you mean in the U S or just anywhere? Let's just say in the U S
1: for now, and then maybe we can go to an area that you think is maybe close that, you know, mm-hmm. has, has some restrictions that could um, be lifted.
0: Sure. Well, um, the, the, the choice that we've made in this model is really to go the route of asking for permission. I am fully aware that that's not always the best method. Uh, and many times, especially with entrepreneurship, asking for forgiveness is, is much better. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, because we are talking about um, not just starting an Uber and then it's easy to very quickly show the benefits of that, and, and regulators can't really shut it down because then they look like the bad guys. We're talking about a much, you know, grander and bigger idea. Um, you know, one that quite literally people have fought civil wars over in the past is over over authority and autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. We think that it's very important to get agreement beforehand. Uh, It's just the nature of the beast. So um, in that sense, it really comes down to whether or not you're able to get in the room and speak with uh, people who, you know, have these ideas and or or are willing to listen to uh, these ideas and be convinced. In the U.S., it's a bit of a problem, not just because, you know, it's Joe Biden and the Democrats in charge right now that that's Probably prohibitive on its own, but because the United States doesn't really need what we're doing as bad as other places, they're not struggling for investment the way many other countries around the world are. They're not struggling for entrepreneurs to come here. We have, you know, more people want to come here than we're Mm -hmm. willing to let in. So um, it's not so much of a problem that you know we can solve necessarily from a United States perspective. There are things you can do on the state level and and say the Free State Project is doing many of them. And we are um, we we discuss with them regularly ways we can work together and try to promote this. Um, We also talk with uh, the Tenth Amendment Center folks as well, because it's the same sort of ideas. It's it's how can you decentralize things so that more Mm -hmm. decisions are made locally. And with decisions being made locally, you not only have more influence, but you also have the ability to get in the room. And convince more people that these ideas could be good. Uh, The odds of me going up to Capitol Hill and and convincing them of some sort of privatized governance might as well be zero, but you very well could convince uh, a mayor. And we've talked with some uh, that, Hey, why don't we try uh, privatize everything here? Um, You know, and we could even privatize the entire jurisdiction itself potentially. Um, So, Uh, That that said, you're still under the sovereignty of the state if you're a local jurisdiction and you're still under the sovereignty of the federal government. So the challenge really is getting in the room with the right decision makers in our capacity. Decentralization of America makes uh, makes the opportunities to do something on the state level greater. uh, But the total size of the United States and the, the the the. Chances that we'd be able to get a hold of anyone, uh, as well as convince them, and then actually have it go through, is effectively zero. But that's not the case with many countries. Uh,
1: well, let's let's pause there because I, I want to stick with the United States for a minute because I totally agree with you. the The incentive is not there right now. I don't think. I think people are still very comfortable. Um, yeah, you know, maybe um, two or three years ago, when we were in the middle of COVID lockdowns, there might be more of an appetite um, to to push for something like this, but. <laughs> Excuse me. Something in particular that I think could shift this is central bank digital currencies, and we've even seen recently within the past week. Um, I think, I think Ron DeSantis, I think he put a bill forward, or at least was discussing it publicly, um, that he didn't want to have CBDCs in Florida, and was pushing other Republican governors to, uh, to. Uh, make the same statement or or maybe there was a bill attached to it i can't remember um if there was so do you envision that if that were to happen if cbdcs are implemented you know by the federal reserve uh as, as you know something like a a free private city or maybe a free private state or group of states coming together to uh to kind of resist this uh the force and uh infringement of cbdcs
0: um, I, I would caveat that I don't necessarily think it's likely, but I 100% agree with you that it increases the chances of something you being successful. It's mm-hmm. um, it's another nature of the beast with what we do that um, dire circumstances lead to opportunity for us. It's um, look, you know, things are. I'm in Chicago. It has many many problems, but it's far too comfortable for anyone to consider doing something like what we're doing. I mean, there's crime everywhere, but it's not dire on a global or on a historical scale. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it seems like it really takes at, like major disaster for people to start to say, hey, well, it couldn't be worse. So let's try, the, you know, let's give this a shot. Yeah, You know, I think that that's, I do think that CBDs, CBDCs present that threat. I'm fully on board with that. I think they're about the worst possible thing that could happen. Uh, I hope the American people, or at least the people of, say, Florida or wherever else, uh, would be empowered and behind their governor to say, "No, we're not doing it here." I'm not. I'm not as convinced that <laughs> that that will actually happen. Now, Florida is probably is prob that is probably right under Desantis's leadership. But uh, you know, COVID taught me to be a little bit more humble about what I think the american people will take so that's fair yeah i think there's uh there's opportunity for us there is opportunity in the u.s too there are interesting things uh going on that could happen in the u.s now nothing fully free private city but on the margins there are things to to do and um i say that looking at you know one of the interesting things we do looking around the world is there are something like 196 un Uh, recognized nation states but there are thousands of quasi nation states uh as i would Mm -hmm. as i would describe them um places that are overseas territories um indian reservations uh mennonite communities um you have all kinds of these You, you even have um you know overseas territories from other countries you have um You know, you know the Dutch and the French and you know the British have a lot of territories in the Caribbean; those types of places. So there are lots of little pieces of land, all scattered all across the globe, that have very interesting uh, sovereignty questions Mm -hmm. about them. Who exactly controls them? Um, And you know, each one is very much unique. And so, um, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to look. Uh, around the globe, for that, including some within the what is typically thought of as as the United States, um, you know, sovereignty, and and they frankly are under the United States sovereignty, um, but nonetheless, they have sort of special jurisdictional ability to do things um, that typical states or cities within the mainland Euro- U.S. do not have.
1: So, uh, a lot of these places you mentioned before that in order for people to be receptive to an idea like this, you know, it needs to be, there needs to be problems, issues, high crime, you know, no economic investment, something like that. Um, In a lot of places like that, in the third world, in Africa, um, people have been taken advantage of by foreign nations coming in and exploiting the people there. And the uh, political leaders in the area uh, falling to corruption and, and taking payoffs and running off with uh, with the money. I'm just curious as with an idea like this, it it would take a lot of trust, right, to to implement a free private city. And is that something that is uh you know that is talked about? Is that something that is part of a, a marketing plan or how does that factor in?
0: It's a huge issue. It may be, you know, the I guess the the biggest threat in my view is that we are successful somewhere and then a nation says, Hey, I like what you've done there. I'm going to take it now. That's probably number one. Mm. But behind that, number two is the perception of what we're doing. Uh, It needs to be, it needs to be thought of as a good thing for locals, for that host nation, for anyone that moves there. It's a huge challenge. It's an uphill battle. Um, It's something that I think we will, we've spent a lot of time thinking about, we will continue to spend a lot of time thinking about, I'm sure we'll make mistakes, but we'll keep trying to improve. It takes an immense amount of trust. It's why we think these types of projects, we think it's, it's good for people to consider moving you know, overseas to them and opting in. But if we're going to be realistic about it, That's not really the clientele that's most likely to move. Who's most likely to move is from other parts of the same ho- host nation. And they're likely to move because it's not as far, there are job opportunities, uh, and they can feel safe. So just like we've seen in Morazan, there are a lot of, there are, I think, two expats living out of the 120 or so that live, maybe 100 mm-hmm. that live in Morazan. two are expats. The rest are local Hondurans that came there because they found a good home that's safe and an opportunity for employment. And I don't know exactly the right ratios, but that seems to me to be about right, that there's, there's going, you're going to find most of the movers amongst uh, the local population. So what we're trying to build in each case is a city with, that has stable rule of law and security, but for the benefit really of locals. I do think that helps the perception a little bit. It's not, um, you know, you, you European colonialists or you American uh, Yankees. It's um, it's really that we're trying to we're, we're entrepreneurs just trying to build a zone, and you can choose to opt into it. And most likely, the people would be rules anyway. ultimately, down the line, we would certainly love to have communities where there's locals, there's them all over the globe, all that type of stuff. We think that. It's absolutely possible for different, excuse me, different communities to come together and and live together. But I I think if we're being honest about it, Americans aren't going to move right away. And so that does help us with the framing. So I think that's really the idea is the marketing needs to be focused on how does this benefit the residents? How does it benefit the host nation? And how are we able to do this? Uh, you know, in order to help both the residents and the host nation and still make a profit out of what's in it for us. So people want to understand all three uh, of those aspects. And so I think that um, we tried hard to focus on how what we're doing is providing good governance, but minimal government governance. Mm. We're not going to get in your way. We want entrepreneurs to come in and do what they need to do. We do not want buildings crumbling down. We do not want crime uh, in the city. So basically what we want to do is make sure that it's safe, uh, and, and that you can, you can build what you want to build. That's about it. Uh, so if you like that offering, then please do come and, and, and move in and quickly build your business and we'll all reap the rewards of that. Um, so that, I think that's really how we'll focus the marketing is it's a, it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs and builders and creators to come there. It's not so much that we're trying to build a libertarian paradise. It's, uh, you know, sort of, I am libertarian myself, but, you know, the idea the idea is to build a community for people, reasonable people, to come together and live together. It's not to build a libertarian Mecca.
1: A libertarian paradise cannot exist <laughs> yeah. in, in reality, really. But, um, yep. So th- let's talk about funding and opting in. So, when, if people decide to to move to one of these areas, you know, maybe starting with locals first, um, wh- what do they need to do? I mean, are, th- are are they signing a contract? Are they, you know, paying in a, a certain fee? Do they have to, you know, pay every year, or how does that part of it work?
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> while every one of these will be somewhat unique because it has to conform to the needs of the host nation. The idea and what we've, you know, sort of have on the table in terms of negotiations that are ongoing is situations where the private operator buys up, like I said earlier, virgin land and they develop all the infrastructure for it. That operator can then decide to do with that land what he wants. He can sell, uh, pieces of land he can rent it out he can you know, lease it out to businesses those types of things um, in our particular model it would probably be a mixture of all three obviously selling land early on the 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 sort of economic or the business plan side of this is that we buy land in a relatively cheap uh, area and it's cheap for mm-hmm. two reasons one is because typically it's undeveloped and two um, it's in a less than optimal uh, jurisdictional environment, Uh, you know, no rule of law or crime, whatever the problem is. We then build it up with the investment and uh, not just the physical infrastructure, but sort of the operating infrastructure, the the jurisdiction, the legal codes of the city uh, also improved. And we think that there's a massive, uh, potentially hundreds of times uh, return on land if you can if you can change it from being uh, both undeveloped and in bad jurisdiction to being developed and in good jurisdiction. So that's, that's sort of how the real estate model works. And then you can, you can think in your own head and I'm not sure I have the exact answers of, well, if you sell more land early on, that helps cash flow from a building the city perspective, but you're selling it at a reduced, you're not selling it at its most appreciated level. Versus Mm -hmm. hanging on to it longer and you, you know, you have to somehow come up with the financing to develop the city, which is not cheap, uh, but you can sell it later on after it's appreciated however many times. So that's sort of the major real estate aspect of the business plan. The other, the, the, the second major part of the business plan is that we intend to not have taxes effectively in any of these cities. What we'd rather have is if you'd like to move to the city or you'd like to become an e-resident or you'd like to become, you know, in some way involved in the city, you sign an actual contract with our company, the operator of the city. And that contract lays out exactly what will happen. It will say, you know, I John Odermatt will pay whatever $5,000 per year or, you -hmm. know, $150 per month, whatever it ends up being. And, uh, in return, um, I agree to abide by, you know, these rules of living together, which are basic. Um, and, you know, the service company, um, Tipilus, or, or one of our subsidiaries, agrees to, pr- uh, you know, provide me with um, dispute resolution and security. You know, it's very, very clear exactly who's getting what and how much you're paying for it, And it can be unilaterally changed by either you or us. Uh, and so we really, really think that that is one of the ways that you um, you pin down a governance provider. You know, you opt in. You say this is what the contract says. Um, fortunately, now with what happens in the U.S. and the West at large, and has frankly always happened um, in other countries, is that they just unilaterally change it whenever they want. You know, we think the tax rates are too low, so we increase it. We you know think that you should pay more fees, so you now have to buy a business license to do this thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we want to get rid of that by just having this contract in place. And so that's essentially all you'd have to do is you'd have to somehow in touch with us, which whenever one of these cities is set up, and if you're interested, you can check out um, Prospero's website. I can pull that up for you uh, and you can put it in the show notes. But th- if you go sure. right to their website, they have ability to uh, say, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to move here or I'd like to become a resident type thing. And I suspect it will be similar for just about all of our other projects, too. There's a very easy way to just say, hey, I'm interested. How do I do it? And it, it'd walk you through. Um, so that's really the, the sort of business model of it. You don't have to, um, you know, you, you were not, of course, responsible for figuring out, you know, your moving situation necessarily. Uh, but in terms of becoming a resident, um, it should be very simple. To do probably done online. Um, yeah, e- easy, easy peasy.
1: Pretty amazing. Um, so I, I do I do one more question and then I want to get to the bonus show where we'll have about you know a couple couple more questions, maybe another 10, 15 minutes. But mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's so many different directions we, we could go here. I could ask you we could talk for hours. But I mean, you do this for a living, you're in it every day. Um, what like what have I missed asking you about that you think is like really important for people to, to understand, um, a key takeaway or, you know, something that I, I totally missed asking you about.
0: Well, <clears throat> I don't think you missed asking me about anything in particular. One thing I think that's really interesting to note about this. I'm not sure I have a solution, but I think it's something that we as people who want to find freedom, mm-hmm. um, we need to realize that, frankly, a lot of that sounds good to a lot of people um, in spirit, and it's simply not followed by the right action. Now, the right action is not always, hey, let me move to this new, uh, you know, venture city in mm. you know some new place. I'm not necessarily suggesting that, but um, it's been very interesting how many people are actively supporting us. Um, And yet the conversion ratio of people that would actually then move is very, very, very low. And I I don't, I I get that. I think that -hmm. that um, it is is probably appropriate. There are many, many amenities to living in the United States. Um, The U.S. government is not one of them, but many other good things that come about and you have family and you have friends and all that kind of stuff. I I do get that. I think it's one of those things we need to be in in our community. And as people that are advocating for people to find more freedom is to be a bit more holistic and considering why people do exactly what they do. It's not, they, you know, people aren't going to move to our city just to lower their taxes. They're just Mm -hmm. not going to, Um, they, will move because it creates a community in which they feel comfortable living the lower taxes or, or just having fees is certainly a benefit, but they they want to move to a community that they feel home and comfort with. Uh, they're willing to pay something to live in in an environment, um, that's probably appropriate. There are communal services. I don't think they need to be provided by governments, but there are communal services that need to be provided for. So people are willing to pay them. But, um, You know, I think that, I think it's just a challenge that we'll have, we will have going forward for our business. Uh, And I think it's a good thing for people to keep in mind, even as your own self, you know, you're, you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I've thought for so long about doing this or that business. Well, just give it a shot. I mean, you really got it. You really got to just get up and give it a shot. And who knows, uh, you know, these cities might not work in the short run. Uh, that's absolutely possible. There are immense challenges to it, but uh, people of action uh, are the ones that are creating and building freedom, not just for themselves, but for everyone.
1: Yeah, I really like how you said that um, at the end. I think it's it's so important for libertarians or people who, you know believe in these ideas. And you were talking at the at the top of the show about your experience with the Mises Institute and learning about entrepreneurship. And I've always been kind of surprised that more libertarian leaning people, more Austrian economists, do not become entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of them just kind of sit on the sidelines and critique everything that's happening, which never really made sense to me. Um, so it's it's great that you're setting the example of taking that action. And who knows where it will lead to? Um, It could work out. It could be, you know, transform, you know, different areas around the world, which would be completely amazing to watch. Um, Or it could lead to another idea and it could lead to another venture. Who knows where it will go? But before I let you go here, before we get into the bonus show, Alex, can you um, give your plugs, let people know where they can find all about Tipolis, where they can find um, about Free Cities Foundation and anything else that you're working on in your social media?
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, so you can follow me uh, on Twitter at AD12. Uh, and then Tipolis, um, as a, a website, tipolis.com, currently it doesn't have much in it, in the way there. Uh, we should be rolling out with a bit more information, and maybe check back there. Um, what's going to be more interesting for you is if you go to the Free Cities Foundation site, um, that can be found at free-cities.org. Um, That should have a lot of information about what we advocate for, various projects that people are working on around the world, um, how you might get involved. There's a blog there uh, that you can read. Um, The last thing you might check out is um, a website called lifetimeliberty.com. This is uh, the website for our conference that we hold annually. Um, it's been in, it was in Prague last year. It will be in Prague again this year. So I know a bit further away to go for most Americans. Um, but the focus of the conference is somewhat different than uh, other libertarian conferences. Um, it's as the title suggests, it's called Liberty in our lifetime. It's really focused on what are the projects, what are the people, what are the tools that people are using right now to find freedom. Uh, this past year we had, um, we had the topic of parallel structures for freedom. So we had lots of, we had really a focus within governance, finance, and education. So we had a lot of speakers on unschooling, uh, homeschooling. We had a lot of Bitcoin type of people. We had, uh, you know, new innovative, uh, fintech banks and things like that, as well as, you know, all of the free city projects that were going on. So uh, we expect the conference again to grow and we'd certainly like to have more Americans involved. I'd uh, love to spread the word and have any of you attend. Uh, and you can find out more information about that at lifetime liberty.com.
1: Awesome. Alex Voss. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, John. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode today with Alex Voss. Um, really enjoyed the conversation with them um, enjoyed the bonus segment too. So hopefully, um, if you haven't listened listened yet, hopefully you will be listening. Hopefully you will be joining the Lions of Liberty Pride if you need to to get access to that. And I'll just go back and say this again because it seems like you know so many of my guests that I have on recently. These are people we're not talking freedom philosophy. We're not talking libertarian philosophy. We're not talking. Um, you know, hypotheticals. I'm talking to people who are taking action, who have boots on the ground, who are disrupting uh, the current models that we have. From everything, from you know the food that we eat, and some of my recent guests, to how we live in cities and how we live in communities with each other. Um, it's so refreshing just to see someone that someone like Alex who probably could make a ton of money um, in the short term and the long term, um, using his financial wisdom um, using his mergers and acquisition wisdom uh, to uh, you know pretty much be set for life and, and do and do as he as he pleases. But as he said, he wants to make a difference in people's lives and you know someone who has the skill set that he has to be able to uh, to team up, and uh, and do this with these projects, um, it's it's really remarkable to watch. So, um, I hope that you will follow along with uh, the work that Alex is doing. I know I'll be following on, and I'm sure we'll have him back later on um, in a year or so to get an update on uh, on where things are. So, hopefully, you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, you know, I talked about joining the Pride. I really, Brian and I really a you know, push trying to get more people to really understand the value that you get in the Lions of Liberty Pride. I know people everywhere, you know, all these podcasts, you know pump up their their uh, their patron, uh, you know their their patron uh, whatever um groups. And what do you get? you know, i'm I'm in a bunch of them, Good people, great people, great podcasts, but you really don't get much of anything in a lot of these groups. Brian and I have really focused on, giving you tons of value. I mean, you're going to get Brian's rants um, every Monday through Friday, essentially, unless, uh, unless something goes awry in uh, in Brian's life, which uh, <laughs> does from time to time. You're going to get our, our bonus shows, Secrets, Lies, and Cover-Ups, um, Degenerate Gamblers, whenever that is in season. And you're going to get bonus segments with uh, with all of my guests. Plus, you can watch live in Facebook. And we are going to be expanding soon to another platform to yet be determined to better engage with our uh, you know with our friends and uh, and Pride members. Uh, Facebook just kind of sucks with groups. It's hard to even. Get any engagement on videos or posts, or you know, you don't see stuff doesn't pop up in your feed. So probably we we'll, we'll keep Facebook for now at least, but probably we'll be uh, opening up a couple or at least one other option, maybe Discord, maybe focus more on that. Um, not set in stone, but we're kind of kind of thinking of ideas that we can engage better with uh, you know with all of the the listeners out there, the Pride members. So uh, more to come on that. So hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to check out the Lions of Liberty store by going to lionsofliberty.store where you can f- see all of our t-shirt designs, a lot of unique uh, eye-catching designs that we have there. So check that out. And that's all I got for you this week. So I will see everyone next week. The weather's getting warmer out there. Stay safe, stay free, and always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burn.